Well, good morning. I confess that is uh, kind of an odd story. Uh, You know, that sounds strange to our 21st century American ears in particular. I mean, it's not, you know, part of our day-to-day experience, at least to knowingly deal with people who are demonically possessed. But uh, but I confess as well that pretty much as long as I have known of that story, and it has been most of my life anyway, uh, I've been able to totally relate to that story. And I'm going to tell you why, because I can relate to the people in the story. You know, I can relate to this dad in the story, and not because I've ever had or I presently have demonically possessed kids. That's that's not the point of connection for me, but the point of connection for me is the fact that I get his desperation. I mean, this guy is up against an impossible, at least for him, situation, and it means everything to him. It's it's his son. And you kind of get the impression as you read the story and you feel and hear the desperation of this dad that this dad has tried anything and everything that's come across his path. Like this guy is willing to do anything to fix this problem that he himself cannot fix. And thus far, absolutely nothing has worked. And thus far, by the way, includes even the intervention of Jesus' disciples. And that's a significant statement because prior to this story, Jesus had empowered his disciples to go out, to heal the sick, wait for it, you ready, to raise the dead and to cast out demons. And that's what they've done. Like they've just split up into groups and they went all over the region of Galilee where this story takes place and they've gone to towns and they've gone to villages and they have mastered the demonic forces of this world and everybody knows it, including this dad. So like the disciples of Jesus and Jesus himself roll into town, Jesus takes three, they go somewhere else, he leaves nine behind. How many are needed? Oh, in their mind, just one. So dad hears this, and he dares to believe again. And I say it that way really intentionally, because when your hopes are dashed again and again and again and again and again and again, it takes courage, guys, to put yourself out there again. In fact, I think every time your hope is dashed, it takes a greater level of courage to try again, to believe again, and then they're dashed again, and then it takes a greater level, and then they're dashed again, and it takes a greater level, and every time that your hopes are blown up and it doesn't work, whatever it is that you've tried, you are more devastated than you were the last time something failed, and the reason is because you understand, like, there's a list of options out there that might work for your problem that means everything to you. And every time something doesn't work, you scratch one thing off the list, and you don't know how long the list is. But you know at least two things. One, the list has either gotten shorter or two, that was the last thing on the list. And in either case, it's despairing. Like, I get this dad. Jesus comes upon this scene in which his disciples have failed. They're arguing with the religious leaders who are always contending with them, it seems. There's a big crowd of people there because, you know, they didn't have Netflix. So this is like the only entertainment in town. And he walks up and he goes, what's going on? And the devastated dad steps up to explain the situation. And all this dad can muster at this point is this. He basically just says, you know, if you can do anything. And I love Jesus' response. You heard it, but I'll read it again. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, if if you can do anything, like, like you're doubting me in this? All right, I want to step out of their story for a second. I want to step into mine and yours. What's the answer to that question? 
mean, like, if you're really honest, look, the answer to that question is, okay, Lord, well, at least occasionally, yes, right, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm doubting you in this. And, and maybe, you know, Jesus, it isn't so much that I doubt that you can. Like, can's a bad word. Let's replace the word can with the word will. Because that's what I doubt. It's not that I doubt that you can do it. It's I doubt that you will do it. And the reason I doubt that you will do it is because I've asked you to, to do it. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't, I don't believe necessarily that you will do it. It's certainly not when I want you to do it because you haven't done that yet. And certainly not how I want you to do it because you haven't done that yet. And certainly not according to my specifications because, look, this isn't the first time we've had this conversation. Like, it's not can, it's will. But the answer is yes. And not just for us, but for this dad. And yet what I don't want you to miss, because I think if you miss this, we miss the whole thing, is what Jesus says next. Because what he says next is powerful. Jesus says to this man, if, if you can, and then he says all things, which by the way, by which he means all things, are possible for who? For the one who believes. And then here comes the desperate dad. Immediately, like he sees a glimmer of hope, just a little bit of light. He dares to believe again. And he says, oh, Lord, if that's the problem, then I believe, I believe, you know. And then he gets real honest, doesn't he? Because all the doubts come rushing in and he's thinking to himself, do I believe? Do I just want to believe? If I say that I believe, will it? And he says, help my unbelief. Look, I'm going to be honest. I totally relate to that dad. He's my buddy. He's a longtime friend. But I can relate to the disciples too, because they too are facing an impossible situation, but they didn't know that it was an impossible situation. Like everything had led them to believe that they were walking into something they could totally deal with. They had cast out demons and look, there were nine of them. Like one of them should have been able to handle this. Nine for sure are going to be able to handle this. So dad brings the son out because he's going, hey, you guys have mastery over the demonic world. And they're like, you are correct about that. Gather up the audience. You don't have Netflix. You might as well show up. Here come the religious leaders. Good. This is an opportunity for us to best them because I'm sure he's taken them, him, the boy to them already. And they've obviously failed. And they do what they've always done. Different results. Imagine their confusion. Imagine their frustration. Frankly, just imagine their humiliation. Like they stepped in with confidence because they knew they got this thing. Man, this is going to happen. This is no big deal. And it doesn't happen. I, I, I can relate to that. I, I know what it's like to, to having done things and, and feeling like you've got it. And of course, it's going to go this way. And obviously, this is going to happen. And I'm certainly prepared for this. And I've done this thing before. And I show up and I'm like, yes, let's do this thing. And then it doesn't happen. Confusion, frustration, humiliation. Yeah, they're my friends too. You know, honestly, as I look at the story, I can even relate to the demonically possessed boy and not because I was ever a demonically possessed boy. Though I will tell you that my parents watch this every week and right now they're looking at each other going, eh, you know, because, I mean, it was borderline perhaps. But here's how I can relate to this kid. I, I can relate to this boy because I know what it is to have things in me that I can't cast out. Selfishness that I can't seem to master, that I can't, can't get rid of, compulsions that I can't stop, feelings that I can't quit, thoughts that I can't, like, where did that come from? Why would I ever think something like that? What in the world is going on here? You get the idea, ideas, behaviors, thoughts, feelings, all of these things that I, in my own strength, well, let's say it, it's impossible for me. 
I've run up against my limitations even with me. And look, so I look at this odd-sounding story, and I totally relate to this story, and I'm just going to say it too. I, I think that you do as well. And I say that because all of us, no matter who you are, are up against some impossible thing. Are you not? I mean, there's an impossible thing for you personally right now. And maybe it's a physical problem. Maybe it's an emotional problem. Maybe it's a spiritual problem. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's some kind of a behavior, some kind of compulsion, some kind of disorder that you have no mastery of, but instead that has absolute mastery over you if you're going to be honest about it. Maybe it's financial problems. Maybe it's your marriage or a relationship. It's, it's something that you can't control even though you've tried and you've tried in ways that have worked for other people at other times, maybe they have even worked for you in the past, but at this point, they're not working. It's impossible. Now I'm going to state the obvious, okay? COVID-19, yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> I mean, let's just look at that because as a city, as a nation, as a world, as individuals, as families, as people, like we're up against it, man. And look, we're doing everything we can to mitigate it. We're doing everything we can to slow it down. I and mean, we do everything we know to do. We're following all the experts, I hope. We're doing all that we can, but raise your hand if you can just make it stop. Like right now, you can just reach up and just turn off the switch. Just, just do it because here's the deal. If your hand is up, it's because you were going... Oh, and then I said that. Okay, that's it. None of us can fix this. It's impossible, but I want to go one step further. I want to say that we as individuals, that we as Rio Vista Community Church, that we as a part of the greater church, that the greater church itself lacks a spiritual vitality that our preaching cannot and has not fixed, that our teaching cannot and has not fixed, that all of our singing cannot and has not fixed, that our resources cannot and has not fixed, that, that our programs cannot and has not fixed. But here's what we can do, and it's the whole point of the story. We can take what is impossible to us to Jesus, and then in faith, we can lay them at his feet in prayer and ask him to do the impossible for us. Because that is exactly what he's calling us to do. I mean, if you just continue through that story, what happens? Jesus delivers this boy. He does. It's awesome. And then he and his disciples leave the scene and they go to some house that they're staying in on all likelihood and, and they go inside and they're in private now. And so the disciples who are confused and they're frustrated and they're totally humiliated pull Jesus aside in private and they're like, hey, you know, Lord, um, what happened? You know? <laughs> We had this. This was in our wheelhouse. Like, we've done this before. Like, what went wrong? And there's more than one version of this story. And when you put them both together, you get a fuller feel for it. Because Matthew, in his version of this story, tells us that Jesus first talks about faith. Matthew 17, verse 20, Jesus said to them, well, it, guys, it was because of your little faith. You're like, well, how little was their faith? Well, <laughs> they were wondering the same thing, so he cleared it up. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you're thinking, well, I mean, these are the disciples, so a mustard seed must be like this. No, 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 a mustard seed is like this. It was the smallest known seed in the agricultural world of Jesus' day. He's like, your faith was not even this big. But if it's this big, what is its power? He says, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, 
move from here to there, and it might actually move. I mean, you know, occasionally that happens. I don't know what the heck. You know, run it up the pole and see if it works. It's not what he says. He says, and it will move. And then he continues and says, and nothing will be what? Because it's our word for the day, if you haven't figured it out yet. Nothing will be impossible for you, which for me at least is another connection point. And I say that because when I come up against those things that are impossible for me, I mean, it feels like I'm standing at the foot of a mountain and I'm I'm standing there with my shovel and my pickaxe and my wheelbarrow, you know, and I'm looking at the mountain and my task is, hey, Tom, move it from here to there. And here's what I want to do. I just want to lie down on the ground and defeat. Like, that's ridiculous. Hey, anybody need a wheelbarrow? Just take it. You know, like this shovel is of no use to me. Free pickaxe. Like, I'm done. I'm out. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Don't fall to the ground in despair. Kneel on the ground in prayer and bring the mountain that you cannot move and bring it to me. He talks about faith in Matthew. He talks about it too in Mark, but then he ends with prayer. Again, the disciples go, what happened? You know, and in verse 29, as you heard, Jesus said to them, this kind, meaning this kind of demon that you were dealing with in this particular instance is different from the kind that you have cast out in the past. He's like, no, 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 it needs a greater power. It needs the power of God. And how is that accessed exactly? He says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And you say, all right, so like, what exactly is Jesus saying? Okay, so let me be super clear. Jesus is coming to me and he's coming to you and he's connecting. Here we go, you ready? He's saying, hey, you know what? There are gonna be things in your life, yeah, that you can't handle. Like they are impossible for you. And it's gonna feel like you're standing at the foot of a mountain with your pickaxe and shovel and wheelbarrow, you know, and with the task of moving it from here to there, which you cannot do. And when you're faced with that, what are you going to wanna do? Just give all your equipment away, lay down on the ground and defeat because it's over. And he's like, no, I move mountains. It's what I do. I make them, I move them. Kneel, pray, take your mountain and give it to me. And you say, all right, you know, okay, I hear that. But I mean, just to rewind a little bit, like, it's not Jesus that I don't think you can do this. It is Jesus that I, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that you will do this. And, and the reason I'm not entirely convinced is because I've asked you to do this a hundred times or so. And you've not done this. And I'm honestly kind of disappointed and I don't want to you know, mess it up even further. Like maybe it would be better if I didn't do this. If I didn't even ask. But is not Jesus encouraging us to ask? Is he not jumping up and down and going, hey, move mountains, that's my job. Bring mountains to me, that's your job. Do it in faith, expecting me to move it again. Your job and the gift of my spirit. He's saying that. But I do think we need to acknowledge he doesn't always do it how we want him to do it. He doesn't always do it when we want him to do it. And sometimes he says no. Because he's a loving father. I mean, I think of the Apostle Paul. You know, he famously talks about this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. And frankly, it's good that we don't. Because then we can take whatever affliction we have and we can relate to what he's saying. And we know that it afflicted him big time. We know that he agonized in prayer before the Lord. He tells us that he brought it to the Lord pleading. You can feel his desperation. It's kind of like this dad 
pleading that God would remove this thorn from him, whatever it was. And what was God's answer to him? It was no, but it's not just no and that's it. It was no, 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 Paul, I'm not going to do it because I am your loving heavenly father and I have something for you of higher and greater and more eternal value than the comfort that you would gain if I took this mountain and moved it from here to there, which I could do. I want you to learn and then I want you to teach for as long as there is a church that my grace is sufficient for you and your weakness. And what does Paul do in that? Because here's what he doesn't do. Like he might have done this in part. It seems like he's worked it through and now he writes, you know, so in the working it might have gotten ugly. But here's where he lands. He embraces the reality of that. And he says, Lord, you know what you have for me and this is good and I am going to trust you in it because I know your heart. And even though I can't understand or feel how greater value from this than relief from that, like he works it through until he lands at the greater value and he gets to a place where he says, guys, let me tell you now what I do with my thorns. Let me tell you what I do with my weaknesses. Let me tell you what I do with my mountains that the Lord decides not to move. I embrace them. I rejoice in them. I look forward to them because in them, I experience the power of Christ in ways that I never otherwise would. And through me, People get to see Jesus. It's powerful. So with that in mind, what is your mountain? Like, that's the easy one, isn't it? Like, as soon as I started talking about mountains and we all have mountains, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I know what that is. It's, it's this, you know, and it's like, and, you know, and you're at the foot of it and it's like move it from here to there and you're like, nah, I'm out, you know, and then what is Jesus saying? He's like, no, 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 don't lie down in despair and defeat. Kneel down and give me your mountain and do it believing that I'm a mountain-moving Jesus. That I've placed it in your life. Bring to me your expectant prayer. In fact, I think that until God comes to us like he did for Paul and said no, we should just keep asking. Seems to me that's part of the teaching of Jesus on prayer too. So what is your mountain? But then beyond that, I mean, if you don't stop there, what else is Jesus saying? He's saying, all right, so this virus... COVID-19, you bringing that to me? Because I'm pretty clear that, you know, you guys, like, you can't move this. It's got to go from here to here, and uh, yeah, no, that's, that's not, not all of you together can stop this thing. Like, bring this to me, and beyond that, bring to me your own personal spiritual vitality. Bring to me your, the vitality, spiritually speaking, of this church. Bring to me the vitality, spiritually speaking, of the church worldwide in this particular moment, which, by the way, is going to require Jesus to deliver us from a different kind of virus, not a physical one. We need to pray for that, but a spiritual virus. And here's the symptom of that virus. Like if you're sitting there going, I don't know, do I have this virus? Here it is. It's very simple. You're satisfied with your spiritual life. You're kind of happy with the status quo, and you're happy with it because it does for you what you want it to do for you. You know, like, for example, it gives you some measure of peace and the idea in the face of death, and we do have to think about that from time to time. It's inevitable. It's there for you when you need it, like it gives you somebody to hang on to or someone to talk to, like, and, and that's helpful. It doesn't ask too much of you because, as we all do, we manage it. We make sure that it doesn't ask anything uncomfortable of us that we haven't planned for, that we're not already, well, frankly, comfortable with. It's kind of like God begins to approach us, and we're like, we're like, whoa, 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 hey, hey, stop, stop right there. Just no, 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 stop, no, back up three steps. No, 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 that's two. Back up three. Okay, sit. Okay, stay. Like he's a dog. 
Like he's our pet. Do you know how much spiritual vitality that kind of a spiritual life has? None. It's why we're empty. It's why we're empty of the joy of the Lord. It's why we're empty of the peace of the Lord. It's why we're empty of the presence of the Lord. It's why we're empty of the Lord, of his power, of his strength, of his wisdom, of his might, of the now and the knowing and the knowledge and the sounding of his voice. And look, we can't fix it, but we can ask him to fix it. And it seems to me that's the kind of prayer he wants to answer. You know, one of the things I've been doing for the last couple of months is I've been reading about revival and it has been both inspiring and (laughs) semi-discouraging. I said to Beth last night, I'm like, you know, she's like, this is so great. It inspires your faith. I'm like, yes, it inspires my faith. But like, I've gotten to the place now where I've read about so many different revivals that if I don't see God move like this, I'm not sure I can handle the disappointment. I want that for me. I want that for us. I want that for the whole world. Like I want that for the church. God has again and again and again and again and again and again. You'd be stunned how many times moved in revival in such a way as to just change people and change cities and change nations. Stunning. Let me give you some of the marks of revival. Just a few. It's a long list. I'm going to give you some. And I do it because I want you to look at at you and I want you to look at us and I want you to look at the greater us, which is the church, and go, oh, hell, I either have that or I don't. We either have it or we don't. And what I want to do is inspire a hunger in you for it. Look, revival looks like repentance. Not I'm a lowly, cruddy pile of dirt and I feel guilty and I don't know. Revival happens when God falls upon a people. When you might not be able to see him, smell him, hear him, taste him, touch him in that kind of way with your five physical senses. But when you understand you are standing in the very presence of the living God and you get a grasp with your heart of his beauty and of his power and of his perfections and of his righteousness, of all of his holiness, of all of his glory, like you just begin to take it in. And do you know what happens? Every single time that happens all over the world in all these different ages and in all these different nations and in all these different cultures, repentance. Like on your face before the Lord, repentance. Everybody in the room down. Grieving over our brokenness, not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that calls us to take our brokenness to the one who alone can heal us. You want to talk about a mountain? That's, that's the biggest one we've got. Okay, here's my failure. I, yeah, I can't undo that. I'm just going to sell my shovel. I'm out. Like, laying down. It's over. No, it's not over. There's one who moves mountains. He moves that one for sure. Another element of revival is just a passionate love for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the mountain mover. He's the one who comes to us in our grief and in our brokenness, who heals us, who forgives us, who makes us new, who makes us clean, who takes all of our failures even and turns them around and then uses them for good, redeems them by bringing more good out of them than the evil they brought initially. It's remarkable. Like revivals are marked by joy, revivals are marked by passionate, all-in, enthusiastic worship where you don't care what anybody else thinks. Like, that's what happens. It's marked by generosity. Why? Because you have the treasure of Christ. You're like, there's no greater treasure, there's no greater safety, there's no greater comfort or security 
There's no greater significance or identity. I have it all in Jesus, and therefore I can use this stuff the way that he directs me to do. People in revival lose track of time. You see it again and again. It's remarkable. Like they show up at a prayer meeting or at church or whatever, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning, and they leave at 4 a.m. And that's not an exaggeration. Like regularly, these kinds of things happen. You're like, whoa, 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 that would blow my schedule up. Yeah, but you wouldn't care. That's the whole point. Like there's story after story of the pastor getting up and doing like five different benedictions because he's trying to send everybody home. And they're like, dude, if you want to leave, go. You know, but God is here. And we're staying. Revival is marked by a renewed love for the word of God that is the Bible. Why do I say that? I mean, like, why would that inevitably be the case? Because in God's word, you have the mind of Christ. You have his heart. You have his wisdom. His word is life. And then the last one I'll give you, because it goes with what we're talking about today, is that revival is always preceded by, and then it is fueled by prayer. Always, every time. You find people who have prayed for a decade oftentimes and then it comes, sometimes more. You find prayer meetings where people are showing up and like people who are not Christians are showing up because this phenomenon is occurring in their town or in their city or whatever and they're like, I don't know, man, but I'm at least gonna go see what's going on here even though I do have Netflix. And just falling to the ground under the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, revival is preceded by, it is fueled by prayer. That is to say, it happens when we as a people say, you know what, I'm really actually not satisfied with where I'm at personally or corporately, spiritually speaking. God is an infinite God and I'm a finite being, which means there is always more of him that I can have and I actually want more. My appetite is increased. You know what, God, you're not a dog and I'm not going to give you a treat if you roll over and let me scratch your tummy. You're God. And I want you to take me over. And so I'm going to ask you to do what I obviously cannot do, which is bring your presence down upon your people. It's an on your knees. It's an in faith. It's all right, move the mountain. It's over here, Lord. It needs to go here. So Matt talked about the fact that we're coming out of Easter and we're coming as a church out of a 40-day prayer effort at 11.09 and we were praying and that was awesome. I loved that. And we're moving in now to this study that we've begun today on prayer. So what's the new prayer challenge? I've had a lot of people asking me that and I want to tell you what it is. It's called Unite 714. It is way bigger than Rio Vista Community Church. There are churches all over the nation, all over the world go to the website and you'll see this. And what are we praying for as the body of Christ worldwide through this united effort? We're praying that God will move the mountain of the COVID-19 virus from here to there and that God will move the mountain of our spiritual virus from here to there, that he will defeat both and that he will bring revival and he will visit his people in our day. That's what it's all about. It's based on 2 Chronicles 7.14, which says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. It works like this. 7.14 in the morning and 7.14 in the evening. You go and you get their prayer sheet. It's a one-pager. It comes out every Sunday. So it comes out today. You can find it online. You can find it on our app in personal worship. It will come out on Monday morning. There will be a link for it. And you kneel down and you bookend your day by praying for the deliverance of the Lord, by taking two mountains that none of us can move and bringing them to him and saying, okay, God, move it. Move this, move this, and do this for your glory. Visit your people. So what is your mountain personally? And will you bring that to Jesus? And then what about these other two mountains? I mean, we're all captured by the second one and the third too. Will you join us in bringing these to Jesus as well? And do it as those who believe at your core that Jesus is a mountain-moving God. Love you guys. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you, and in doing so, we come to the one for whom not one thing is impossible. Lord, we praise you. We praise you for Jesus, for the one by whom you have loved us and moved the mountain of our sin. God, the one through whom healing of our own personal brokenness comes, the one who gathers up all of the shattered pieces of our lives and and somehow puts us all back together in such a way that we're more beautiful, not less than we were before we were broken. God, we bring our sin to you, we bring our brokenness to you, we bring our failure to you, we bring our past to you, we bring our present to you, we bring our future to you, we ask you to capture us and we pray that you would humble us. You are not our pet. Lord, forgive us for all the ways that we seek to constrain you, to tie you to a tree, to keep you from coming too close because that might threaten our real gods. Lord, let us repent of our gods and let us know the life of the living Jesus. He is God. And let us learn how to pray from him. Lord, we bring to you our mountains, our impossible things. And you know exactly what they are for every single one of them. You've placed them in our lives for your own strategic purposes. You humble us through them. You teach us through them. Lord, we ask you to move them. Give us faith. Lord, we believe. And help, help our unbelief. For we want to see the mountains move. We pray for this virus, Lord. We ask that you would relieve us, not just us here, but us all over from this virus and from all of its effects. We pray that you would relieve us of the fear that we experience over it. We pray that you would safeguard us from its physical effects. And Lord, we ask for deliverance from the spiritual virus that resides in some measure in all of us. And that calls us to be complacent. That calls us to be content that calls us to a place that we would call comfort and that you would call death. Deliver us, Lord, we ask. Give us your grace, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.